We are ready to emerge. We are emerging more and more every week, aren't we? You feeling it? We're getting closer. We're seeing changes happening as we're coming out of this pandemic more and more, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And we've got uh, orders being lifted here in the state on, on June 2nd, so we'll be updating you as well as far as how we're going to handle that here in the church. We've been so thankful for the way that you've been uh, staying uh, compliant and just helping us out with this whole time and, and have been able to stay healthy through this time. But we've also, uh, you know, as we think about this emerging, I mean, we could win a million dollars. Isn't that awesome if you got vaccinated? I mean, there's a chance. I mean, I don't, I don't care if you agree with it or not. I mean, I'm not going to send the money back, right? I mean, it's a million dollars. Just make sure you tithe on it, by, by the way, right, if you get that. Or uh, free college education. I mean, I've got, I mean, our, our girls, I'm going to give them eight shots each. I mean, we're going to get entered into this thing. We're going to figure that out. But uh, we are emerging. We want to emerge better. We want to emerge stronger. We want to be ready to, to face the new opportunities that are on the other side of this year that has just caused a pause for so many of us in so many different ways. But how do we not just go back to normal? How do we embrace what's new and new opportunities that are before us that, that uh, we, we set out in front of us and go, okay, God, how can I pursue that in my life? How can I get a vision for that? And we've been following throughout this whole series the story of a man named Nehemiah preserved for us in a book by the same name in the Old Testament and this vision that God had given him to rebuild the walls of a city of Jerusalem that had been torn down for 150 years. And people had been inhabiting that place, but nobody had rebuilt that wall. And he came in with a vision from God and, and rallied the people to do that. And just as a quick uh, recap, as we talk about what is a new vision, and, and remember at the beginning of this time I said, don't just like come and hear a message series, but really think through what is it in my life that I want to, to, to accomplish? What is it that God's placed in me to do different? What's a vision for my family, for my marriage, for my career, for my finances, for my faith? As you think through those things, because it began when, when Nehemiah was broken, and we said that, that, that brokenness can birth vision, that it can come out of that place where, where you're broken, and as, as some things in this last year have maybe been broken, that's a great place for vision to emerge for your life, saying, we're going to do something different. We're going to tackle some things and, and, and handle life in a different way. What is that for you? Nehemiah saw the wall that need to, needed to be rebuilt. And then he got clear around that vision through prayer and fasting, and, and God began to birth that in him that clarity. What's the problem? What's the solution? And how do we go after it? When he made his way back into Jerusalem and, and, and rallied the people, he said there's not going to be any gaps in the wall and placed a family or, or a group of people on each segment of that wall. And they rolled up their sleeves and they got to work. No vision, nothing gets accomplished until we roll up our sleeves and take those first steps. Then over the last couple of weeks, we talked about mid-course corrections and obstacles that come in our way. We said it's hard to start something. You've never accomplished a vision if you don't start. It's hard in the middle when you're tired, when you hit the wall, when you want to give up, when you want to throw in the towel. And guess what? Today, we're going to talk about finishing. And it's hard to finish. It's hard to cross the finish line. And today, we're going to look at part six in this Emerge series called You Need to Focus to Finish. We need to focus to finish. How are we gonna do that? And, and that's what we're gonna look at because finishing is hard and Nehemiah has to cross that finish line and he's gonna face some new challenges. This last, uh, this last week, you guys know I coach a soccer team, a couple teams actually, and, and one of my teams had a tough game on Monday. And at halftime, we were down five to nothing. That's pretty tough in soccer to be down that far at the half. And so, um, you know, the, when the whistle blew and, uh, for halftime and the team was coming in, you know how they were coming in off the field? You can just imagine, right? They were dragging, their faces were, 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 were you know, frowns on their face. And, and when they sat down, just, uh, their bodies were just kind of drooping and, and they were complaining about some things. 
And it was like, guys, we still have a half of a game to play. Like, the game is not over. You can't just phone it in for the second half. I mean, how bad is this going to get? You've got to tell your face. You've got to get in there. You've got to fight. You've got to come and, and do something with this. You can't just stop halfway through. And so in order to finish something, you got to focus. And so they went back out there and tried to rally them and motivate them or whatever I could. And they only let one goal in the second half. So we ended up losing 6 nothing. But it may not have been a win on, on paper, but it was a win in character. Because there was this fight that took place. There was this idea that we're going to have to keep pushing because we're not done. We've got to get to the finish line. And then we had another game later in the week, and they were down 0-2 at the half, but came back to tie it in the second half. And they're building on that. But it's just a lesson in character. It's a lesson in vision. It's a lesson in how do we accomplish what we set out to do. How do we bring it through to the finish line? The last push can be very hard. Think about that in your life. Where are some things that the last push, some, some of you ladies are probably thinking like, yeah, when I gave late, when labor, right, the last push, right? It can be tough. Crossing the finish line can be tough. And, and you think about different things. We're, we're thinking about some of our graduates right here. I mean, even writing a paper can be hard, right? To finish it, to finish a class, to finish that final exam, to push through. When you think about college, did you know that only 56% of those who start a four-year college finish within six years? That means a lot of goals, a lot of hopes. We're gonna get, I'm gonna get this degree. I'm gonna go to college. I'm gonna do it. And then you look at a, like a PhD program. Only about 50% of those that start a PhD program will finish it. Why is that? Because finishing is hard. There are so many things that come up. There's so many things that come along the way that sometimes good you know, reasons why that doesn't happen, but we see it's not easy to finish. Think about different goals that you have in your life. You want to be debt-free, and you're making your way, but it can be hard to finish and to cross that line. It can be hard to hit the goal that you want in your health or maybe in your weight or things you're looking for in that regard. But we look at other areas in life. Marriage. How many marriages cross the finish line and all their life are faithful and committed in that marriage, standing at an altar saying, for better or for worse? But apparently at some point, things got so worse that it wasn't for worse. And 40 to 50% of marriages don't cross the finish line. Finishing is hard. How many do you know, and maybe in your own walk, you, you've, you've given your life to Christ, or you think about some of our students, you're making commitments in, in, in elementary school and then in high school, you're following Christ, you've been baptized, and then it's off to college, and it's off to other things, and all of a sudden, where is faith in that? Are you gonna finish in your faith? Are you gonna carry that through into high school? How many have gotten off track and go, and we've watched walk away. Now, thankfully, many have come back, and you come back in faith, and God gives that opportunity. But to finish is a challenge. Finishing is tough. It's so much easier just to throw in the towel and quit. Well, today, I wanna to talk about how do we finish, and it takes focus to finish. As we look today at Nehemiah chapter six, we're gonna see what Nehemiah had to do to focus to finish. And uh, as I've been preparing for this series, I came across, there's a book called um, Visioneering by Andy Stanley, and he looks at the story of Nehemiah as well. And in this chapter six, he identifies three distractions that I wanna talk about today, three distractions that can keep us from finishing. And those three distractions are opportunities, criticism, and fear. These three things can threaten to, to keep you from finishing. Opportunities, criticism, and fear. And we're gonna look at these in the context of Nehemiah and what he faced. So you guys ready to jump into Nehemiah chapter six? 
We wanna cross the finish line. Finishing is important. So Nehemiah not only had a dream and a vision that took place, but then he took you know, extraordinary steps to, just, to bring that dream to reality, to rally the people. He's faced challenges from the outside. He's chased, faced challenges among the people. And now he's in the home stretch. We're about to see the completion of this wall, this project that he had taken on. But his enemies weren't done with him yet. They weren't through with him yet. They put a target squarely on his back. They put the target right on his back because if all else fails, take out the leader. If all else fails, take out the leader. If somebody can't accomplish and distract you from what you need to do in your life, they may just try to take you out. And that's exactly what Nehemiah faced. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter six, beginning at verse one. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So the wall's all done, everything's framed in, the enemies are looking around and going, all that's left to do is to put these, these uh, doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plate of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. Again, last opportunity. If these doors go up, if these gates are secured, what could happen? And all their worst fears they were thinking about, so now we have to distract them. We've gotta to try to pull them away from the work, pull them away from his people. Let's get Nehemiah to come off that wall and to come and meet with us. But he knew something was up, right? They were plotting to harm me. He could tell something was going on. This situation uh, makes me think of one of my favorite Far Side um, comics here. Maybe you've seen this one before. Bummer of a birthmark, Hal. You ever seen that? I think this could be a meme for leadership. Or this could be a meme for, for you and what you're trying to accomplish, that you've got a target on your back. This poor deer, right, <laughs> doesn't stand a chance. But if you're gonna put yourself out in front of something, if you're gonna lead something, if you're gonna push through and change something that exists, you're gonna have a target on your back or on your front or whatever that, that, that place may be. And so Nehemiah was facing that as well. Now you might be saying, you know what, but I'm not a leader. I'm not a leader and, and um, you know, so I, I don't have to worry about that. You may not realize in the many different ways that you are a leader. If you exert influence in any capacity, in any way, shape, or form, you are leading. If you're exerting that influence because you're trying to change something. If you're trying to change something in your school, in your workplace, in your home, in your family, at the church, in a ministry, in a nonprofit, in your city, anytime you're exerting some leadership to say, or even influence to say things need to be different, that's leadership. And when you put yourself in a role like that, you're trying to change status quo. And that's where leadership is required because if you don't wanna change anything, we don't need leadership, right? If there's no reason to change something, why would, why would we need leadership? And so here comes, this, here comes this challenge. And so what we're gonna look at now in this, with this target on them, the first distraction that we wanna look at. What is this distraction? It's opportunities. This first distraction is opportunity. And now it doesn't seem like opportunity is gonna be really a bad thing, but opportunities can, can come and absolutely take you off pace. So here's Nehemiah. He's trying, to, he's trying to figure out what he needs to do, and he can tell something's up. What do you think was his first clue that something was wrong? They wanted to meet in the plain of Ono. Ah. <laughs> Oh no, that's not a good place to meet. They, they would have been better off if they would have wanted to meet in the, you know, they said, Nehemiah, let's meet in the plane of tranquility, right? That'd have been a good place, that'd have been a good place to meet. It's like somebody, you know, wants to meet with you who's, who doesn't have your best intentions in mind and says, let's meet at uh, Ted Bundy Cafe. 
or you know, OJ's Bistro, let's meet there for lunch. You go, eh, wait a second, that may not be the best idea. He was on to something. They wanted him to come off the wall. They were trying to, to put him in a, get him in a different, different place. But here's what we see, Nehemiah, how he deals with this distraction, Nehemiah 6, verse three. I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. He knew what he was focused on. Listen, opportunities are distractions when they take our focus off our greater purpose. Opportunities. We're faced with so many opportunities. You've got all kinds of great opportunities, and life is full of them. And again, if you're the high school graduates, college graduates, you've got opportunities galore in this next stage of your life, but if you don't stay focused on what you're there for and what you're supposed to accomplish, you're gonna get distracted. And in life, we have so many distractions. We carry one around with us everywhere we go. We can spend our whole day with our heads down in our phone, right, and our thumbs being busy, and we can get distracted. There's distractions in entertainment. Distractions from great opportunities and hobbies and, and experiences that are out there to be had. All kinds of distractions, friends and travel. Lots of great things. And when we get distracted, we get off the course. We get off of what we need to do. For example, if your goal is to be debt free, you wanna have some margin in your life. You wanna be able to tithe. Finally in your life, say, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna honor God in that way and, and so I'm gonna get my finances in order. I'm gonna do these things. And you're busting it, you're saving every dollar. You're being faithful and you're giving, you're doing those things, you're getting out of debt. And what happens? Distractions come. Something breaks down or, or maybe a nicer vacation, maybe a newer car, maybe friends asking you to go to do something and spend money on stuff that you go, ah, that's gonna take me off my focus. The distractions can take us off of what we need to do. So to finish, you need to focus. That's just a key part of what we're talking about today. To finish anything, you've got to get focused and focusing on the greater work. What's the greater work? That's what you need to think through this whole thing. What's the greater work that you are focusing on? If we're not clear on the greater work, we're not gonna know what we're doing. And so maybe what you gotta say is, you know, you're, you wanna be faithful in marriage as you, you're young, you're a young person, you're saying, I wanna, I wanna honor God with, with my relationships and with my life, and so you say, I'm not gonna engage in premarital sex because I am focused on a greater work. I'm engaged in, and focused on what God wants to do in my life. And so I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna avoid that distraction. I'm engaged in a greater work. You need to memorize this line. Say it with me. I'm engaged in a greater work and I can't come down. That was your practice, right? Here we go. I'm engaged in a greater work and I can't come down. That line will work in all kinds of things. You know, if something comes up against you, you just say, Nehemiah 6.3, Nehemiah 6.3, I'm engaged in a greater work and I can't come down. What is that great work? What are you doing? Maybe you're a mom and you're staying at home and maybe you feel guilty for staying at home and not having a career and doing that, but you might say, you know what? Um, I'm engaged in a great work. You look at those kids, I'm engaged in a great work and I can't come. Maybe you've got your sights set on a career path but others are wanting to distract you on that. You say, you know, I'm engaged in a great work and I can't come. You focus, what is that great work that you are engaging in? I'm engaged in a great work on this financial goal that I have and I can't come. I can't let myself get distracted. You're at college or you're studying and you're trying to get ready and, and you got some papers due and your friends are saying, come on, go out and do this. And you're going, no, no, I gotta keep my scholarship or I wanna get this degree. I, I, I can't. Nehemiah 6.3, I claim it right now. I'm engaged in a great work and I cannot come. And you stay focused. 
know, we've got the Olympics coming up and I think about all these athletes and what they do to get to that point. I guarantee you, whether or not they know it, they know Nehemiah 6.3. Because you don't get to that level of, of accomplishment and of, of achievement by not having that kind of resolve to say, I'm involved and I'm focused on a greater work. You know, like it, it might be hard to give up your spring break and say, you know what, I, I gotta train because I got a starting position and I gotta get this, so I've got my training regimen, I've got the things I gotta do, I can't go. I'm involved in a greater work and I can't come. Spiritually, you're trying to grow, you're trying to focus, and now you're at college and, and mom and dad aren't there telling you to go to, go to church or go with them and, and it's, uh, you know, Saturday night and others are asking you to go out and be out late and no big deal, you can sleep in on Sunday and you're saying, no, no, the things that I was taught, the things that I grew up in, the faith that I had, the baptism that I had, I'm gonna honor God, I'm sorry, I'm engaged in a greater work with what God has to do in my life, I can't come down. Now don't say that to your friends, they'll be like, you're weird, just know that in your heart. <laughs> You know, you might just say, hey, sorry, I'm out. I got some other priorities, you know. I'll catch you next time. I'm going to church on Sunday, but you can come with me. That's my priority. That's what I'm focused on my faith. That is when you begin to get focused and things change in your life. When you get that kind of clarity, what is your greater work that you are focusing on? I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come down. So Nehemiah didn't come. They couldn't get him off the wall. They couldn't get him off the focus that he was seeing at the end here. He's got to finish it out. So they take a different tactic. And you know what they do? Instead of hitting him privately, they try to go public and take him out publicly. Nehemiah 6, verses five to seven. The fifth time, now the fifth time they're trying to get him come off the wall, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. An open letter, right? Imagine a scroll being read out and open to all. Here's what he was saying. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there is a king of Ju in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. I mean, this is, this is someone coming publicly and saying, all right, here's the letter, here's the thing, we're gonna try to discredit Nehemiah. So the second distraction we gotta fight and face is criticism. And in Nehemiah's case, it was just a lot more than criticism. It was an all-out smear campaign, falsehoods and lies. Nehemiah's trying to become king. Have you ever been in a position like that where somebody has questioned your motives, where somebody has said falsehoods about you? Have you ever had somebody accuse you of something that is absolutely not true? I have, many times. And it's been in the church of all places. And what do you do with that criticism? How do you deal with that? How do you handle those things when things are said that are just plain not true? But again, you might say, I'm not a leader. I don't, I don't deal with these things. But again, like I said earlier, if you're involved in any of these situations, criticism is gonna come. Because leadership is about taking people somewhere where they have not yet been, going to a new place. A vision is about seeing something that does not exist yet. And so we don't need leaders and we don't need visions and you, we don't need you and anybody else trying to change anything if everybody is happy with the way things are. But in life, as things change and as things progress, we need to have visions, we need to have leadership and what that means is there's gonna be criticism. Because that always means there are some that will not want to go, that will not want to change, that some things are threatened in that process. And so the criticism comes and if people can't stop what you are doing, they will try to stop you. Because if you can take out the leader, you can stop whatever the thing is trying, that, that's trying to happen. 
So one way you do it, you discourage, you criticize, you hammer on it, and, and if you've experienced that, you know it's hard to keep going. So how do you respond to criticism, lies, and rumors? Here's what Nehemiah did, less talk, more walk. Less talk, more walk. We often do the opposite, we talk more and then do less because we're sidetracked by the criticism, we're sidetracked by what people are saying. Here's how Nehemiah replied in verse eight. He's hearing all this criticism and he says, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing, period. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. I love this about Nehemiah. So I continued the work with even greater determination. This is what I love about Nehemiah, the same guy who wept over the walls being broken at the beginning of our story. Remember I said it's not because he's some kind of weakling because he's just kind of a, a softy. This guy would fight for and move forward saying, no, 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 more determination. But first he begins, a little less talk, but it's still a verbal denou denouncing, verbally denouncing what's going on. There is no truth. It's all made up. If you've got rumors going around, if things are being said, it can be a helpless situation, but you know what? You've just got to let some of those things go. You cannot chase down every lie, rumor, falsehood, quote, questioning of your motivations. Because you know what happens if you do it on social media, you know what happens? <laughs> you just gave all the credibility and things just keep going and you're just feeding into that and you're getting distracted, right? You're taking your eye off the greater work and so you've gotta let some of those criticisms go and sometimes the only one who truly knows what is true and what is real and what is right is you and what's in your heart, and what's in your motive, and you cannot maybe convince some people on that. So don't. Less talk, more walk. Here's something that's interesting too. It's called projection. Critics assume of you what is actually true of themselves. Now, that's not to say that all criticism isn't, you know, isn't, there, there isn't some criticism that's valid. There aren't things that leaders do wrong that could be done better. But critics assume of you what is actually true of themselves. If you think about this for a minute, when you're accused of, you know, she's power hungry. Hmm. He's such a control freak. Maybe the critic is the one who's losing control. Maybe the critic is the one who's hypersensitive to this, this type of piece. He's so insecure. She just wants control. It's just selfish ambition. They're just trying to get attention. That may be more a reflection of the critic, and so let the critics deal with their issues but stay focused on what you've got. Less talk, more walk. The best way to shut down your critics is not with verbal sparring, but with more determined work. And that's where we see Nehemiah saying, you know, I determined to work even harder. The NIV says it this way, the New, English, uh, the, the New International Version, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Isn't that awesome? I mean, these guys are coming against him again and again and again. And here's Nehemiah saying, nope, I'm engaged in a great work. I can't come down. Oh, God, now strengthen my hands. I've got to bring this across the finish line. I'm not going to back down. I've got to come through this. A completed vision quiets most critics quickly. If you want to quiet your critics, complete the vision. Go after it. Stay after it. The same people who've been you know, making fun of you for, for scrimping and saving and not doing the things that you need to do, well, they're gonna be pretty quiet when you pull up in your paid off car, into your debt free house, and you phone them in, you, know, you, you FaceTime them from Tahiti, right? That's, I mean, you quiet your critics when you stay focused on what you're focused on and what you're trying to do. 
And even as a church and in our ministry and the things that we're doing, it's not to worry about critics, it's to focus on what God has given us, but we keep our head, we keep our eyes focused on what God is calling us to do, to make an impact in this generation, to be the church to this generation in this decade, to pursue what we have and to go after it with everything that we are. And the question that we all have to deal with when we're faced with criticism is this, do you derail or will you prevail? See, that's the, that's the decision that Nehemiah had to make right now. Am I gonna get derailed and I'm gonna let all my attention go to dealing with critics or am I gonna stay on the course and I'm gonna prevail through this? He didn't back down, he doubled down. So now they couldn't get Nehemiah in these fronts. They couldn't get him to come off the wall. They couldn't get him privately in that way. They couldn't get him publicly. So now they have to go one more route and they're ruthless and they're relentless and this time it's an inside job. Here's what we read in Nehemiah 6. 10 and 12. Later, I went to visit Shemaiah. And Shemaiah was a, was a priest. He was a prophet. He was somebody that Nehemiah knew, somebody that was familiar to him. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he, he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. We're looking at this third distraction now. That is fear. Fear and intimidation. They couldn't get Nehemiah in these other places. They couldn't get the people to stop. And so now it's gonna come. Nehemiah, run for your life. Protect yourself. Save yourself at all cost. This is all that you have left. And whether the rumor was real or whether it was true, we don't know. But at any rate, it came to him. And this was how they were gonna try to discredit him. And then they were gonna try to have him sin by going into the Holy of Holies, which was only reserved for the high priest. And so for him as a leader to say for his own safety to get locked in there was gonna discredit him and, and, and cause him to sin in that way and lose his, his credibility among the people. And he, didn't, he, didn't buy, he did not give in to that. Look at how Nehemiah replied at this challenge to come and save his life in verse 11. Should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I won't do it. He was not gonna give up. He was not gonna give in. He wasn't gonna hide. The question that I have for us as I think about Nehemiah is, what hill are you willing to die on? He was willing to die on this hill, die on this vision. Whether or not it was true, he wasn't gonna hide. This is the greater work. What in your life has captivated you so much to say, I'm willing to die on this hill? Come what may, I'm not gonna preserve myself. This last week, uh, Shannon and I watched a movie called The Darkest Hour, Winston Churchill. Great movie. I mean, when you watch the, this, this moment in history, Winston Churchill has, just has taken over leadership, and, he's, and, and they're in the middle of the, I mean, the battles raging in Europe. Hitler and the Nazi armies have already conquered many countries. The Battle of Dunkirk was about the last stronghold on the European continent, and next was gonna be England. And so here is Winston Churchill faced with the dilemma and some of the previous leaders had, had said to him, you need to go negotiate peace. Sounds so much like Nehemiah, come down off the wall. Go and negotiate the peace. That's normally a good thing. That's normally not a bad thing. But Winston Churchill knew there was something more important. There was a battle that had to be fought. There was something that he was convinced of, and he wasn't gonna come down and give in to that. One of his quotes, it wasn't in the movie, one of his quotes is, you have enemies? Good. It means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. I love that quote. It really reframes having enemies, right? We go through life trying to avoid having enemies. Nobody wants enemies. But what he's saying is good. You've stood up for something sometime in your life. 
Now, if you wanna be a wallflower and not make a difference in this world and just kinda sit still and be quiet and hide out in the corners, you're not gonna have enemies, but you're also not gonna accomplish anything. And so when you put yourself out there, when you say, let's go somewhere, let's do something in whatever arena of life that you're in, you're gonna face the attacks and the enemies. And Winston Churchill did, Nehemiah did, and anyone who's led through something has. And, and what we see in Winston Churchill, what hill are you willing to fight on? In the movie and as we see in, in life, in real life, he said, we shall defend our island whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. That's gotta fire you up. But at the same time, what's he saying? We're gonna basically fight to the death. We are not compromising in on this. And that's what Winston Churchill did. And it turned the course of the war. It began to change the direction. There were still many battles to fight, but that line in the sand changed some things. He was convinced he was not gonna let fear or intimidation take him down or take him out. But as we see with Nehemiah, in the same way as he would not give in to that, he wasn't gonna compromise his character. Verse 13 says, they were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. You know, people may not have liked Nehemiah or what he was doing, but they weren't gonna be able to find something to accuse him of because of the integrity that he had and the character that he led with and that he wasn't gonna go and do what was just asked of him, even by somebody close to him, somebody that he knew and how much that must have hurt. It makes me think of Philippians 2, 14 and 15. This is where Paul, who in the same way endured many criticisms and challenges and, and he was trying to help the early church and he said to them, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Now people are still gonna criticize you, but live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. What he's saying is live in such a way that even when others try, they can't hang a hat on the criticisms that come your way. Live in such a way, be honorable in that way, and Nehemiah did that. So here come the attacks. They came, again, on trying to distract him with great opportunities. They tried to criticize him publicly and he withstood that. They tried to do an inside job and get him to, to, to sin or to, to, to flee for his life in fear and he didn't do that. And then we come to this beautiful verse, uh, verse 15 in chapter six, where the wall is finally completed. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. I mean, all of the attacks, all the challenges that came inside, outside, from within, from with others, here's this day now that they're celebrating. The wall was completed, the doors were put in, the gates, and the wall was finished. And in the end, you know who got the honor and the glory? It was God. The enemies, the surrounding nations, others saw that. And when people look at your life and they look what you're living for, the principles, the standards, the, the, the goals you're trying to achieve, do they bring honor to God? Do other people say, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how she did it, but God was obviously in that. That was all to the glory and to the honor of God. And that's what Nehemiah did, and that's how the wall was built. When I think about our own lives and the goals and the visions that we have, how do we do that? As followers of Christ, we understand we can't do it in our own strength. Nehemiah couldn't do it in his own strength. And that's why we lean into our faith. That's why we lean into the hope we have in Christ. And think about Jesus in the situation. Did he focus to finish? <laughs> Did he face these same distractions that, that we're dealing with? And at what level? 
At what level did he face opportunities? Remember, as he began his ministry, he had fasted for 40 days and nights. He was hungry, he was weak. And who comes and who does he encounter? Satan himself. And what are all the promises? Power, wealth, prestige, just bow down, just give up, just give in. And what did Jesus say? No, 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 no. He didn't say these words, but he said the, the sentiment of them. I'm engaged in a great work, and I can't come. I am not gonna bow down. I'm not gonna give in. I'm doing a great work here. Did Jesus face criticism? His whole ministry, he faced criticism. All along, you speak blasphemy. You're a friend of sinners. What are you healing and, and doing work on the Sabbath for? That's heresy what you're teaching. You claim to be the son of God. Over and over, the, the, the criticisms came. But how did Jesus handle the criticisms? With less talk and more walk. He didn't run down, chasing down every rumor, every argument, everything that was wrong. He was, the scripture says he was silent like a lamb before the shears. And what did he say at the very end? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he had this compassion that he wasn't gonna get into these, these debates, but he was gonna lead by example and live that out, and he did that. Did Jesus face fear? Was there an inside job against him? Did some of those who were closest to him turn on him? I mean, imagine being in, in his position, his situation, Knowing that not only have the, the, the Israelites, the Jews turned against you, your people, the Roman government has turned against you. You're, you're facing crucifixion, whippings, lashings. He was praying in the garden and it says his sweat turned to blood. There was fear. And yet he did not cower, he did not quit, he did not run. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He knew without a doubt what hill he was willing to die on. It was called the skull. Golgotha, the place where the cross stood. And he knew, this is, this is what I came for. He, he knew what it mean, meant to focus and to, to carry it through to completion. He's, he's hanging on the cross. And what are some of his final words? It is finished. It's accomplished, it's completed. His vision wasn't to start a nonprofit or some organization or, 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 or to, to, to accomplish you know, a building of a wall. Jesus had a very clear mission and calling to seek and to save the lost. And nothing was gonna take him off of that mission. Nothing was gonna derail him from establishing a relationship with you and providing a way for you to have relationship with him and to know that you are loved and forgiven and set free. And he overcame every obstacle, every challenge for your sake so that in the end, he could say, it is finished. And because he finished, we have the opportunity and we have the power and the strength to accomplish what he's calling us to do in our lives and as a part of the mission and the vision that he has called us to. And together as a church, the mission and vision that he's called us to, to say, we are gonna continue. We're not gonna quit. We're not gonna stop. We gotta stay focused on, on the great commission and in the great commandment of God. And he will help us carry that through to completion. I don't know today if you're discouraged in some area in your life. Maybe you're just in the thick of something, a struggle. You see the finish line, but it just feels like, I don't know that I can get there. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't back down. Double down on this. Get clear on what is it that God's calling you to and pursue it with all of his strength. Because in the end, the testimony comes back to God. Because of God's great faithfulness, they were able to accomplish what they did. You are doing a great work. You're doing a great work. Keep up at it.
I wanna close with this verse from 2 Timothy 4, verse seven. Paul, who again was a great leader that we read throughout the New Testament, the battles, the challenges, the things that he faced, here's what he says to his protege and what he says to Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. I pray that every one of us would be able to put that on our tombstone, that we would endure the battle, that we would endure the challenges, that we would get clear and focused on what God has called us to and not give up, but to stay and to say, God, would you strengthen my hands? Strengthen my hands for what I have ahead of me. And I wanna pray for, for you today. If you need that strength, if you need that courage to hold on a little longer, to fight a little more, and to see through what God has placed in front of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story that we read from so many years ago from Nehemiah. We draw great strength and courage from his resolve and from, from the strength that he found in you to not get distracted, to not go sideways. Lord, I pray for, for all of us here today. God, you've placed dreams, you've placed visions in our life, you've placed some, some, some goals and aspirations that are in front of us. God, first and foremost, we pray, God, that they are from you and that they are honoring to you. And so, Lord, just give us the courage to continue to pursue with fervor what you've placed in front of us. Father, I pray for our graduates in this next season of life. God, may they build upon everything that they know, the foundations that have been laid in their lives, and God, may they be convinced of the great work that you are calling them to. And Father, if the distractions come that will lead them astray or lead them in a direction that doesn't honor you, Father, may Nehemiah 6.3 ring in their ears, I'm engaged in a great work and I cannot come. God, may we be focused on what you've called us to so that we can cross that finish line as your good and faithful servants, that we would say, we fought the good fight. We have finished the race. God, we, we honor you. Heavenly Father, we commit our time to you and we worship you, God, that you would lead us through whatever obstacles, whatever challenges we face. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.